Welcome to Off the Shelf, the second life radio show and podcast about books and the people who love them. I'm Kegia Gerardi, and this is Simeon Beresford. Join us as we survey the literary scene in our virtual world. Hello, welcome to Off the Shelf. Today we are talking to the founders of Ward Wood Publishing, Adele Ward and Mike Fortune Wood. Welcome. Hello. Hello, Gia. Adele has been on the show before. She is, of course, Second Life's own Julie Kidd. Welcome, both of you. Thanks for inviting Thank me back. Thank you. So, Mike and Adele are both experienced in the publishing world. Mike has done this before with Cinnamon Press. So, Mike, presumably you were the guy who knew where the printers and the distributors were. <laughs> That's right. I'm actually dyslexic, so I have no possibility at all of being able to edit a book. But um, I do have experience of dealing with the printers and all the backroom stuff. Uh, I understand about how distribution works now. And uh, I have also been responsible in the past, and, and again, with um, Wardwood, with um, dealing with the book covers. Uh, so what about you, Adele? What were you bringing? Well, this was wonderful for me because it's been my dream for a couple of years to open a publishing company. And um, I was really lucky. I was talking to Mike's wife, Jan Fortune Wood, about a book she was accepting a poem of mine for. And she suggested to Mike to get together with me. And it made it possible for the company to start um, much faster than I thought it could do because uh, I've worked as a writer and I've worked as an editor for years. Um, but I really needed someone to complement that with all of the experience Mike brings to it um, so it's fantastic that uh, that we can complement each other in that way mm -hmm. uh, I, I would add as well sorry I was just going to add as well that Adele adds the uh, marketing side that I don't really have much experience with so um, particularly from her journalistic background I think that has been a surprise to um, to authors actually that I have the promotional and PR experience. So I'm contacting a lot of press and media at the moment. Um, and uh, that's probably really essential because it's so hard to sell a book, as everyone here knows. Mm -hmm. um, so that does help, yes. Mm. Uh, you were lucky enough to get Sue, uh, I said Squinny, as your first author. Sugaini, well. I think. I, I must oh, ask her how Gaini. she pronounces that. It's quite tricky, I think, that name. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you haven't met her in the flesh yet? Or? Oh, yes, I have met her. Um, she was with the last publisher I was with. My book was published by Blue Chrome, who sadly failed during the recession, like uh, various publishers. And I realised how good she was because she helped me in a sort of campaign to help the authors who, who lost their publisher with Blue Chrome. I've also met her at an open mic in real life. Um, so that was how I got got together with her and she offered me her novel but we were very lucky the minute I saw her novel I knew it was a really good one so, so it's great to be able to start with that book. I remember her getting some very good reviews on her last book because I, I was I, 
I do my research basically. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, so I, I'd, I'd known, I knew the previous publishers had had a lot of problems. I, I read some very terrible things. I didn't know they'd gone to the wall. So, yeah. So, what is her first book about? Well, her first book, this isn't her first book, this is actually her third book. All of our first um, three authors have been published before. Um, this is her third book. It's set in Cambodia. And she draws on her own experience where she went to Cambodia, to Phnom Penh, and she worked in an orphanage called the Anjali House for children. Um, so it, it's a very well-researched book, but it doesn't feel stuffy and over-researched. It's a real page-turner. And it's got a very feisty woman who runs this orphanage for Cambodian children, um, you know, who've lost their, their parents because of the the history in Cambodia. Um, it's partly about that. So it's got great history and what's happening politically there. And the um, one of Pol Pot's main executioners has been brought to justice in, in recent weeks. So it's very timely. Um, that's just a coincidence. I find that very interesting, but it's also a very human story because this feisty woman, I really identify with her, um, and it's a very heartwarming story. So along with all the trials and tribulations of Cambodia, um, it, it has this great personal tale as well. And um, I usually read very slowly, and um, I read over weeks, but when I started reading her manuscript, I couldn't put it down. I would have read it all in, in a day and a night and the next day if I could have done. But I had to go off to an appointment. So I, ha I read half of it. I couldn't stop and cook dinner or anything. And um, the next day I read the rest of it. Um, so, so that's basically what it's about and a great read. That sounds like something that everybody's going to want to get a hold of then. And what others? What other things are you putting out? That's your first, but you've got another two coming up soon? That's right. Now that we've started, we'll be put publishing a book a month, um, missing out December and August, which uh, when Mike has told me books aren't put out in the publishing industry. the So at the moment, I'm already editing the next book while we're waiting for Sue Guiney's launch. The next one is a poetry collection by Anne Alexander called Too Close. And um, Anne won the Miss Lexia. She's won other various prizes and she was placed in the BBC Poem for Britain competition. So I'm really pleased to get her too. And we're working on the edit for that poem by poem, which we're bo both really enjoying. And um, Penelope Shuttle is reading a pre-release version of that and she's writing us a, a quote for it. Um, and then in November, we have a, a collection by Mike Horwood, who's also, that's also a poetry collection. And um, he's an English poet living in, uh, living in Finland. And he was published by Cinnamon Press, coincidentally, before. So although we're based in the UK, I'm in London and Mike is in Wales, but the, the company is very international. Sue Guiney is American. Um, Anne Alexander is pe in Penzance, which isn't another country. <laughs> It's part of the UK. And uh, Mike is in Finland. And then in uh, January, we have two novellas by an Irish writer called Noel Duffy. And he's also a scriptwriter for a, a famous soap over there called Fair City, which is based in Dublin. Um, so, so we have four very good, uh, very good books 
um, coming up. So you're not focusing just on novels or just on poetry books. You're you're going to do a wide range of of publishing. That's right. We're starting with a novel, then it'll be poetry. There are novellas which um, can be quite hard to publish, but I really believe in shorter forms. We'll have short stories, plays and translations as well. And I think Mike well, Mike writes non-fiction as well, so um, hopefully we might have something by you as well, Mike. Yes, I'm hopefully going to put some together by the end of next year. Uh, but I'm also producing a, an education journal which will come out under the Wardwood uh, Press name. Um, but it probably won't be marketed in the same way as obviously the literature that, you know, the literary books that we're publishing. So I think, yeah, non-fiction is also very important. Mike is actually really well known in the home education um, sector, the people who choose to educate the children at home rather than sending them to school. Uh, that's right. I've published three books um, in that area, and as I say, I was already uh, published the Journal of Home Education. Uh, but I run a big uh, support website and some big mailing lists on the internet on on that subject. So, uh, more about this poetry. You're involved in the charity event at the moment. Could you tell us something about that? Uh, yes, we're, um, there's a, a, a lady in London who uh, organises a, a number of uh, meetings for poetry readings. Uh, the profits from these meetings go to the winter um, shelters in London uh, for homeless people. And she normally runs a national poetry competition every year uh, from... Well, it's it's basically the people who read at the um, uh, at these poetry gatherings uh, put, put their poetry into this competition automatically, and then uh, the best ones are picked out and the books published. Now, Cinnamon Press did one last year, uh, which I was involved in putting together. And this year she's decided to try something slightly different where people submit and pay a small fee for submissions. Uh, the profits from all of this will, of course, again go to the um, cold weather shelters. Yeah, the, the, um, what happens is when people go and read at the open mics, and I help at these, they're open mics every month, and publishers can launch uh, poetry books there, plus people can read at open mic. So anyone who can get to London can come to these Camden and Lumen events. If anyone reads a poem at these events, they put the poem forward and um, they're looked at at the end of the year and they go into an anthology and different publishers sponsor the anthology every year. That, um, that anthology is still going to come out this year. As an extra thing this year, there's a competition and it's actually international. People can enter on the wardwoodpublishing.co.uk website as well and um, the difference with this if they enter this competition there's a very small fee it's £2.50 for one poem or £10 for six poems which is very small for the type of competition it is all of the proceeds go to help the homeless in the cold weather shelters it will be judged by Caroline Duffy who's the poet laureate and um, we will still have the anthology for people who read at open mic 
but for this competition, a person would win a booklet of their own poetry published. So they would have 20 pages of their own poetry published. And Wardwood is going to help with this by publishing the pamphlet for them. And they would get 50 free copies of their booklet. Plus they'd get invited to read it at the event and be promoted on our website and elsewhere. So I'm hoping that anyone listening to this, if they want to enter it, would go to wardwoodpublishing.co.uk and maybe enter one or a few of their poems. You can win with just one poem and you still can win 20 pages of your poetry published and uh, and still and help the help the homeless whether, whether you win or not. Well, I'll make sure that we put a link to it on our, our website. So, a number of times you've said Ward would publish and I expect people will be able to find it. Hopefully. <laughs> it sounds such a well-established company. Ward would publishing, it sounds like it was set up in about 1890s. <laughs> yes, we're, we're old enough. <laughs> they use chisels and rocks. <laughs> well, it's uh, time for our musical break, I think. Um, so, Play it, Gabby. Rakim in Lashesi, Gospodio Tsarisio, Vlepatu, Oblechesio. Господи, вот 
That was The Lord Reigns from the album Traditional Worship, singing of Kiev Pechersk Lavra by Kiev Seminary Choir on Magnatune. And she still hasn't forgiven me for choosing that piece of music. Couldn't have a drink before saying that, could you, Kagia? <laughs> <laughs> My goodness. Too many consonants. <laughs> the Welsh think that's funny. <laughs> so Sue's book, Clash of Innocence, that we were talking about before the break, is launched at the end of this month. When exactly? That's right. Well, the book officially is uh, published on the 30th of the month, but um, I'm hoping to have the uh, actual copies back from the printers tomorrow morning or at least by tomorrow. So uh, what I intend to do is that we'll be uh, sending books out straight away when we get them in or pretty soon afterwards. So effectively, it's published from this week, really. Um, it's, it's, a little, uh, it's a little iffy when you send things off to publishers, to, to um, printers as to when you get them back. But uh, we're hoping for this week. That's the deadline. So how can people get their hands on it? Well, they can order them directly from our website, uh, which, as we said before, I think it's www.wardwoodpublishing.co.uk, and they can buy them that way through PayPal. Or if they go to the website, if uh, particularly if they live in Britain, they can buy it by cheque. There's an address there, and they just make a cheque out to Wardwood Publishing and send us a letter with their name, address, and uh, you know the, the number of books that they want to order. Uh, or they can buy it through Amazon, or they should be available. We lost you. Um, from our distributor, which is centralbooks.co.uk or centralbooks.com. Um, they keep them in their warehouse and uh, can get them from there. Um, the other way is that if they come onto Facebook, they can find me on Facebook, they can find Wardwood Publishing on Facebook, but they can also find Sue Guiney on Facebook and they could order directly from the author and um, get a signed copy. Uh, That's so nice and one of the advantages of a smaller press too. That's right. I was looking at, at the, the, the covers of your box. I'm not going to say which of the two that I can see I prefer because that wouldn't be fair. <laughs> <laughs> but who chose them? Uh, who's, who's responsible for the covers? Well, I am responsible for the covers primarily. Um, uh. The in this particular book, in Sue's book, the cover, uh, sorry, the the pictures that were used as for the cover were sent to me. Um, Sue had somebody who had taken photographs in Cambodia with her and I had a choice of around a dozen photographs. As it turned out, the photograph that I chose uh, wasn't actually taken by uh, this guy who was a professional photographer, it was taken by his young daughter. Uh, <laughs> but it's, it's suited <laughs> the book. I know, I know, I'm sure there's a, a lot of family tension around. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure she's making it very obvious to him. But anyway, um, the uh, cover was uh, chosen because it suited the content of the book uh, for reasons that will become apparent when people read the book. The, uh, the, the photograph is particularly uh, suitable. But I also liked it. Technically, it was, it was very clear and sharp. And, of course, it was uh, appropriate. But 
Um, I like the colours, the attractiveness of the cover itself. It was uh, it was a very clear, nice, bright, attractive cover that would draw people's eyes. You, when you're selling a book, you don't have very long for people to look at the cover. They their eyes just you know glance from one to the next. So you've got to have a cover that uh, that arrests the eye. And I think this one did that very well. Yeah, well, it's not a skull or a naked woman, but it's not bad. <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, it is literature, not not pulp fiction. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're trying for the highbrow here, at least the you know the higher She's brow. Lost me already. <laughs> <laughs> it would be too too easy, I think, with Cambodia and the book is set near the killing fields. It would yeah. have been too obvious. There were some very obvious choices that could have been made for cover. Um, so. So this was quite nice, and it's really nice. I feel it's important to involve the author and ask them how they imagine a cover for their book, because they often do. And um, that was the same with Too Close, wasn't it, Mike? Um, Anne asked for a close-up of a lion, and we passed that idea to you. Yes, that's right. Um, the it, it was quite a challenge. Uh, we wanted a lioness staring straight at the lens, and... Um, Obviously, the title of the book being close, uh, sorry, too close, meant that uh, we wanted something that was kind of in your face, yes. um, but not too obvious. So, um, in the end, I uh, did a search of uh, a couple of um, photo libraries that uh, we can use, and I found about a dozen images that were more or less suitable. Um, I got it down to, I think, three in the end. And I sent those to the author to ask her which ones that she was interested in. And uh, her and Adele picked one particular one, which was, it was a good image. And I took it and basically fiddled with it for quite a long time <laughs> until we finally ended up with the cover we had. In fact, the, the cover itself, the, the, the picture, didn't actually take that long. It was only a few days, but the, uh, it was the font and the text <laughs> that took... <laughs> I think a fortnight to uh, decide. Uh, when you think it's only four words, it's uh, <laughs> it was it was an enormously uh, you know not a frustrating experience, but it was a quite a detailed thing because we wanted to get that quite right. And you know, it's amazing the effect that a different font or just changing things ever so slightly, uh, you know, changing the shade or something like that, it can have a tremendous effect on the appearance of a cover. And uh, we wanted to make sure that everybody was happy, that it was going to work as a cover. It was attractive. It was uh, fitted the, uh, the the you know the context of the text was right for the content of the book. So in the end, I think we were, again we arrived at something that was quite good. But we do spend a lot of time thinking and considering exactly what goes on the front cover. We do. We, well, we spend uh, a lot of time on editing and on cover. And I have to say here, we're, it's an incredible collaboration, which might not be normal in a lot of publishers. And we've used Google Wave collaborative software to work on that as well. So there's a real mm -hmm. interaction going between both of us and the author. Um, Google Wave is sadly closing at the end of the year, but I'll use Shareflow after that to do the same thing because it really has helped. Yes, that's right. Collaboration in something like this is enormously important, particularly when we're living so far apart. You know, we can't just pop round to the next door office or 
turn the swivel the chair around and have a chat with each other. We've mm. uh, we've got to concentrate on this, and we've got to make sure that each of us knows exactly what the other's doing. So we we're constantly exchanging emails, you know, dozens of times a day, some days, and uh, we're quite often on the phone, and we're using Skype and other things, uh, and Google Wave and so on to make sure that both of us are absolutely aware of exactly what it is that we're uh, discussing and uh, making sure that both of us are happy with uh, what the other's doing. Yeah, but it sounds like it's a very intimate relationship between you and your authors right now. It's, it it is. certainly is. Yes, it is. And I think that's unusual. I know coming from a background as an author with a publisher, I've never had that sort of close relationship where um, usually you have to worry, you know, should I phone them? Am I getting on their nerves if I phone them? Having something like collaborative software like Google Wave or I'll change to Shareflow when Google Wave closes um, means the author doesn't have to worry about that. They can leave a message on that collaborative software and during that day I'm going to find that and I'm going to answer it. Um, and we pass each other files on that. And uh, mm. yeah, it, it has been very close. Do you think that slows down the process? Do you think that makes a better product? How is that affecting the the final book? Oh, it doesn't slow it down because it means um, they don't have to phone me or whatever. They can leave all their messages on Google Wave. They can leave all their files on Google Wave of, um, you know, their author picture, their bio, a blurb for the back cover, all sorts of things I ask for. They can leave them there when I need them they're all there for me. If they ask me a question, I can answer it whenever I'm ready. And all that information is there when I need to make a press release or anything. I've got author pictures and everything on Google Wave, on the collaborative software. It speeds it up. I, th I think it makes it much more effective. Um, it makes it much more efficient to do all sides of the job, not just producing the book. Uh, and editing it, but also the press releases and mm -hmm. book launches mm -hmm. and events, which are also incredibly important. And the authors don't feel like they've turned over their book and they're done. They're they're That's part of the process. Well, I was, I was just about to add to that, saying that uh, one of the problems that small presses have is hanging on to uh, good authors. Good authors tend to be attracted by the larger presses as they become bigger themselves. Uh, the larger presses sometimes can make better sales. They, they have uh, more facilities for um, you know, producing books. But um, our... Our plan is that we develop a good, intimate relationship with our authors where we try to keep our authors happy. We try to make them feel that they're part of the press, they're part of a family of authors who are writing for us regularly. And uh, that way we hope that they will stay with us and we will grow with them so that the press benefits and they benefit together and they feel that they can trust us um, to handle their work. You know, they're not going to be mistreated the way they might be in some larger presses, you know. So I think that that's an important relationship that we hope to build on. I think that really is working. The other thing is on the collaborative software, I introduce them to each other and they chat to each other on there as well to make them feel like a family of authors. The, the other thing they like is because we publish all forms, if they put one book with us, which is a novella, either fiction or poetry, you know, if they send me a book in another form, once they've been accepted in one form, if their next book is up to standard in a different form, they know that they've got a home for that as well. Yes, that's something that uh, large 
presses are particularly violent. I think they, they try and fit you, slot you into a category, and if you wander out of it, they don't know what to do with you. So, um, what, Ned, now that you've published your first book, you can tell us what teething problems did you have? What did you learn working together? Is there anything you do differently? Um, I, I think it was just finding our way around how the other one worked. Um, you know, that was the thing. And I, I, I think you have to have an awful lot of give and take on that, you know, and um, neither of us knew how the other one worked. We'd never worked together before. Um, mm. But I think we have learned very quickly really how the yes. other one likes to work. Yes, we haven't had any arguments or rows. We've had, you know, sort of professional disagreements about the way that the things should flow, but um, they never escalated to the point where we were actually unhappy about each other. It was more a matter of trying to understand about how things should work. I mean, part of the problem is that Adele um, didn't necessarily know some of the intricacies of the things that I was going to be doing, and I didn't necessarily know what she was going to, how she was going to handle the editing process, because it's it's quite a different uh, different process for each editor. You know, different editors have different ways of working. So I think that was fine. And of course, at the same time, we were working on the book because we actually started working on the book before we uh, we formally started the company. So we had a lot of legal stuff to do at the same time and um, you know that actually worked very smoothly in the end I think you know it could have been a quite a, an awkward time but uh, it's I think the whole thing's gone very very well I think we're both very happy with each other's uh, working style Definitely. Yeah, working from a distance hasn't been a problem either because you're used to doing that now with your authors I assume mm. I'm certainly used to that as, as an editor you know and uh, as an author working with my publisher um, Yes, no, I'm completely used to working at a distance. I've done it for many years. And the inter the internet doesn't make it feel like a distance to me. Uh, so, so you'd say that your main problem was um, how much time to allocate to each particular part of it. You're saying, oh, it'll, it'll probably take him about so long. And he's going, no, actually, it'll take me twice as long. Nobody ever says it'll only take me five minutes. <laughs> It, it, it's actually really hard and time-consuming work. <laughs> I'm sure I say that. But in about allocating it, um, <laughs> you, you just have to put as much time into the day as you can on this kind of work. I think. Well, it sounds like you're doing uh, the the traditional paper publishing. Are you also looking into doing electronic publishing? That's what we're thinking about at the moment, isn't it, Mike? That's right. We want to make sure that the uh, we understand the technical side of it exactly right. Uh, it may be that we'll have to buy software and uh, other resources that we'll have to get in. We have to make sure that we're geared up to that. We have to understand how the marketing side of that works because it's not quite the same as marketing a, um, a paper book. So um, there are a, a number of details to, uh, to get right before we plunge in. Um, we're not like a, a large publisher where we can, you know, invest a couple of thousand pounds in this and then see how it goes. <laughs> but, um, yeah, we're very, very interested in this. I think inevitably that's the way that publishing is starting to go now with the new uh, readers like the Kindle and the iPad and uh, there's one or two others, I believe, 
um, I'm pretty certain that there's going to be more and more sales that way. It's, I think it's inevitable. And we have to keep up with that. Yeah. I think uh, a lot of people, oddly enough, don't realise they can download the Kindle application for free to read Kindle books. I did that the other day. Uh, you know, a lot of people say, oh, don't make Kindle books because we haven't got a Kindle. But you just download the reader for free on Amazon. Um, the various things to look into are, you know, how, how to keep an e-book secure if you, if you bring that out, how long after the traditional print book you should bring out the e-book um, so as not to impact on sales, what, what sort of price is right for an e-book. And I think Second Life might be very handy for that because people could probably give us a lot of feedback on what yeah. they think about those things mm. because people here are very up, very up to date on all of this. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll listen to people on, on that, I think. That's right. There's, a, there's a, a view that seems to be developing in some circles that poetry will always be, uh, the, the, sorry, there will always be a market for poetry in books because of the, the visual impact of actually holding a book and having the printed word. Uh, novels, I think, might, might be different um, in that there may well be people who will buy novels on ebook form and not buy them in paper book form. Mm -hmm. And um, there's also um, some evidence to suggest with non-fiction books that um, people can market them as e-books and then they will, the same people will then also buy them as paper books. And that seems to be because of the way people use uh, non-fiction books as reference books and they want them in hard copy rather than just on a machine. Um, it's difficult to know how that'll turn out, but there is a lot of evidence to suggest that that, that seems to be developing as a trend. Yeah, I think typographies can be very important with poetry. Mm. Yes. I think I've, I've got people asking me, particularly Americans, asking me if we would bring out the print book and put an e-book in with it so that they have both. The same way you might get a book with a DVD. Um, mm. And they say it's because they use a book and the e-book for different reasons. You know, they might take the e-book somewhere with them. Or if they have disabilities or, you know, it's hard for them to read, they can increase the font on an e-book. I hadn't thought of things like that. And I think for the same reason, people might like an audio book. That's another thing I'd like to look at. Because with novels, I actually, also with poetry, I really like to listen to it. Yes, uh, Cinnamon Press did actually bring out a number of uh, audio uh, poetry uh, CDs, um, which had mixed reception, really, in terms of uh, marketing, in terms of sales, you know. Mm -hmm. But um, it, it is something that's worth doing, I think, having samples particularly of the, uh, of the poetry. I, w I would like it with the book, actually, the poetry book with the audio. I think... The American mm. people have asked me, have got it right. They, they would like it put in with, with the book. As we mentioned, you, got, you have been publishing, both of you, uh, Adele in Poetry, as well as her articles. And Mike has been doing education work as, in addition to the Cinnamon Press. Are you still working on personal projects as well as, as Wardwood Publishing? Um, we, we both are. I mean, I with editing so much and looking at submissions, um, I haven't been able to write too much. I have a novel which I should be preparing and finishing, but it'll probably take me about a year before I can get back to that. 
while we work on Wardwood Publishing for the other authors. And I'm also working on a poetry collection as well. Um, and I, I love nonfiction. I, I work on journalism as well. Um, so I am writing, but it's taking a lot longer at the moment while, while I'm editing others. And uh, Mike, you, you're writing as well, aren't you? Well, yes, I'm, I'm trying to put together the, uh, the journal. I stopped publishing that for about six to nine months, uh, well, really from the latter half of last year right through to now, and I'm now in the process of trying to re basically relaunch the home education journal. Uh, so I'm very involved in um, gathering together a number of um, people to write articles for it. I've just today got hold of Graham Stewart, who's the uh, one of the education ministers responsible for home education. He's going to write an article for me, which is terrific news. Uh, we All home educators want to know what the new government's policy is on that. Mm. Um, I'm also considering putting together a book uh, which would be basically a handbook on home education. There's no up-to-date, properly put-together, basically pocketbook on home education. Uh, and I think that would be a really useful tool for people to have, something small they could actually carry out of the house, because quite often people get home educators are out and about during the day, during the school day, and they get accosted by uh, police officers and uh, education social workers who think that their, their kids are truanting. So having something in hand, in their hand that they can uh, refer to and uh, explain what their rights are uh, would be quite useful to them. So I, I think that's something that would be quite handy nearly time we wrapped up but before that I'm going to ask you are you taking applications are you looking for new authors or have you got a huge um, this is one thing I'm probably doing slightly differently um, so that I have time to really give each author the, the time that's needed to edit and for Mike to produce and for us to promote each book properly we're going to limit to the number of authors so that each of them can stay with us for their future books as well and not have a queue of, you know, two years or so for their next book to be published. And the way I'm doing that and being able to concentrate on them is by not inviting submissions, but I'm more talent spotting. Um, and uh, social networks help a lot with that. I go out to real life open mics, but social networks have helped me to see authors who have lost their publishers during the recession like Sue and Anne Alexander was with Peterloo uh, who, who went during the recession as well it's very easy for me to contact them via Facebook um, and the two social networks that really help me are Facebook and also Second Life where um, I can see there are some highly publishable writers here as well and um, so I more watch out for people and, and see a way of, of finding an easy contact with them when they when they have a you know a novel or a poetry collection or play or non-fiction <laughs> that that's ready to be looked at. That so that does make it. the. Don't call us. Mm. We'll call you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um. That's that's great, and um, we would love to talk to some of your authors when the time comes. Oh, I should but, say that actually. Sue Guiney is going to come on. She's really keen oh, to come on because her friend uh, Sarah Solway was one of the first authors on Meet an Author Show. She was the first author on the Meet an Author Show. So Sue Guiney has been very keen to come on. So I'm sure you can meet her. <laughs> that would be great. 
Yeah. Well, thank you both for being on Off the Shelf and being our season three first guest. Yay! <laughs> thank you for asking us. Off the Shelf is produced for Radio Real by Kegia Gerardi and Simeon Beresford. Technical production is by Radio Real. You can find Radio Real on the web at radioreal.org. Music on this program includes works by artists on the Magnatune label. The music in the general introduction is John Playford's All in a Garden Green by Eileen Hadidian and Natalie Cox from their album Dolce Musica, A Contemplative Journey. The -the off-the-shelf theme music is 1,500 Tons by Burning Babylon from the album Stereo Mashup. And we bid you goodbye with this piece, Hagagasan 14 by Eternal Jazz Project from their album Gratis Jazz. You can learn more about Magnatune and their artists on their website at magnatune.com. Off the Shelf is licensed under Creative Commons.